This is Kristen Smith, and you're listening to the Destination Begin podcast. Hi, hi. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm really glad you're here. It's so much fun to see my listenership improve each week. Thanks for sharing this. Thanks for talking about it and for sending it to your friends and posting it to your social media. It makes me really, really happy to see that. I really want this to get into the hands of people who like it, and it's really fun. I also like hearing your feedback on certain things. Um, A couple weeks ago, I talked about figuring out that Alaska was connected to Canada, and I am not the only one. So many of you have the same puzzle that I did. And the United States, they just put Alaska and Hawaii in the bottom of the puzzle underneath California. And a lot of us just assumed that's where they were. So I feel so much better that I'm not the only person who made that mistake. Now, most everyone that shared that figured it out before they were 30-something years old. But I feel... I feel just vindicated and less like an idiot. Um, most people, the Australia winter thing still makes them shake their head, which fine, whatever. I own it. But it sure gives me pause now when I talk about like, it's spring, obviously. It's like, no, it's not obvious. I bet it's fall somewhere. But, you know, I don't live there. So it doesn't even, I don't even need to know what season it is anywhere else. I just need to know what it's doing here. So I'm in Minnesota, as I've said, and it's March 8th, Sunday, and it was 60 degrees today. And in Minnesota, when it gets over 30, people start wearing shorts and flip-flops. And today I saw people eating outside on patios in tank tops and shorts, and it was not warm enough to be outside in tank tops and shorts when you're not moving. But that's what we do. And, um, you know, the car wash lines were insane and it was a beautiful day. And here's me, middle of the day, so tired. I took a nap and I never take naps. Very rarely do I take a nap, but I was crashing. I was so tired. And I just felt like the worst Minnesotan to waste an hour and 10 minutes of a 60 degree March day on a nap. I just felt felt like they needed to take my Minnesota card away from me. But it was hashtag worth it. So that's really um, the most exciting thing that's really going on. If you want a glimpse into my soul, I'm really excited about something. Like more excited than I can even admit because it's embarrassing. But, you know, I'm I'm team order. I like order. And I'm an accountant. And I always knew I was going to be working business. You know, I read a lot of books and a lot of them deal with helping people figure out what they want to do with their lives. And so I'm a really fortunate. I always knew. I always knew I wanted to work in business. And I realized that's a general category. But um, my dad cleaned office buildings overnight. And my brother helped him. And you know we were homeschooled, so we had these unconventional schedules. And so it worked. We didn't have to get up for school. So my brother, started with my brother, would go with and help clean. And then when I got older, I would go with and clean. But my my brother would find in the garbage at these office buildings boxes or packages of discarded blank 
forms from whatever business. I don't know, like a dentist office was one of them, a travel agency, and they were just blank forms for God knows what. But he would grab them and bring them home and give them to me because I liked to play business. So my dad had also found an old typewriter in the garbage and brought it home. My mom was always getting mad at my dad for dumpster diving, but he'd find cool stuff and bring it home. Like one time he found this really big dollhouse, like a, I guess it's not life-size, but I mean it was four feet tall and he brought it home from wherever garbage he got and it was awesome. We like, we painted piano keys on the roof of it, pretended it was an organ and we tied screwdrivers to the top like microphones and we pretended to play church because... That's all we knew. God, that's so pathetic. I forgot about that till right now. Um, anyway, I digress. So my dad found really cool stuff in the garbage. Like he would find couches, buy dumpsters and bring them home. And like my parents never bought furniture, living room furniture. And my mom would get real mad because she'd be like, there's like worms in this. And my dad, he was a carpet cleaner too. And so he would just clean them disinfect them and take them apart and like clean them. And then that would be our couch and they'd be green or brown. And then we would use it till it completely fell apart. And then you find a new one by a dumpster. And so anyway, I, we, it was really fine. They were really nice things. I'm not, it wasn't terrible. It sounds terrible. Um, anyway, so my daddy had found this old typewriter. So I would play business with that. And I would use the old typewriter to fill in these forms and I would make up client names and whatever. And, and then he found me my favorite thing ever. It was a 10 key adding machine. And there was a receipt tape um, option that it didn't work, which was really sad. But it still made the sound after you hit like return. It would sound like it was going to hit and do a receipt. And so I would just type on that thing all the time. And I, I learned how to 10 key without looking when I was really little. And so my brother would bring home these boxes of like discarded check stock and forms. And some of the forms had like carbon copies. So then I could fill them in and then make a carbon copy and hand it to my imaginary customer to give them their receipt. And I loved it. Oh my God. I was so into playing business. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in business and I wanted to use a 10 key and a typewriter. So fast forward, I'm 41. And you know what I do all day? I use a 10 key spreadsheets. And I love it. <laughs> so I digress. Well, my brother used to get those forms. And here's a little sad story. We were homeschooled, like I've talked about. And my brother was the firstborn. And then there was five years before my sister was born. And then I was born two years later. So it was this big age gap. And then he was the only boy. And we weren't allowed to play organized sports. So he wasn't allowed to join Little League or in-house baseball or basketball, which is such a sad thing because he's like incredible. He could have been a world famous athlete. He's just really talented. And so he used to bribe me to play, like go out and pitch to him or play catch with him because he he liked to pitch and so someone needed to catch him and or he wanted to do batting practice. He needed someone to pitch to him. So I got real good at that stuff actually when I was little. It's too bad I lost all of my athleticism. But um, so he'd be like, I'll give you 50 of these blank checks for business if you pitch 50 pitches to me or something. And so it worked really well. And that's a little window into how we entertained ourselves. Um, but so working in business, it's just part of my blood. And 
my new coaching business and doing workshops and this podcast is really, really fun and it for sure feeds another side of my personality, but my my DNA is set up like a spreadsheet and my heartbeats are in the rhythm of a 10 key. It's just the way it is. When I got my first temp job through Account Temps with Robert Half, they test you on a lot of skills and one of them is a 10 key skill, speed and accuracy. And I literally set the record for the whole company as the fastest 10 keyer ever. And that record may still stand, but it's because I've been doing it since I was like four or seven. Anyway, so I really love what I do. And um, I'm an accountant at a law firm. And so at the end of the year, everything that I do all year gets sent to a CPA firm and they do our taxes. And it's a it's a hard, busy time of year to send information and tweak it and tick and tie and give them all the information they need. And it's just really busy. But it's like the big dance for me. Um, I'm the only finance person at my firm. We're a small law firm. And so it's just kind of my baby. And the partners are really involved and they're, you know, really up on what's going on. So they understand the timing of it. But there's one day every year that is my personal Christmas. And it's tomorrow. And it's the day when the courier arrives with our tax return. And I just, I feel like there should be a trumpet and maybe a pom-pom brigade. And I don't know, maybe I should wear my cheerleader outfit. But it's the day once a year where all of my work is in a beautiful I mean, in my mind, it's got a big pink bow around it. In reality, it's just a manila envelope full of paper. But it's – I can't, I'm so excited for it to arrive tomorrow. It's just the highlight of my year. And that is a window into the nerdy, spreadsheety, <laughs> numbers, team order soul of your host of this podcast. So that was a very long story, but that's my day tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. Um, And like I started that story out with saying is I'm really lucky because I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so when I do my work, it just resonates with a part of my entire makeup and my soul that is just awesome. So I'm really lucky. And I'm really lucky to work for a really great place for really, really, really great people. So um, what else is going on around here? Um, I travel a lot in the wintertime to just get out of here because winter is brutal. Um, And so I went to Disney earlier in the year. And this is a place that I had never been to because we just never went as kids. Later on when I was a teenager, you know, we figured out that Disney was – the Antichrist, because like in The Lion King, there's like a there's a scene where some sparks fly up and it spells out the word sex, and so that proves that Disney is Satan. Um, that and my parents didn't travel. And then when I had my son, he was a boy. He wasn't super into Disney. We never went. I, so here I am, 41, had never been to Disney. But my good friends um, invited me to meet them down at Disney because they love Disney. And I was like, sure. 
because I'll get to run outside in January. And I don't really care what else I do. Uh, go to Disney? Sure. Awesome. Let's do that. Um, I'm going to get to run outside in January. So that's the whole reason I went. And then also to see my friends who I never get to see. And then, yeah, I wanted to see what this Disney thing was about. And I haven't admitted this to my friends yet because they love Disney and it's their jam. And they don't have kids and I didn't bring a kid. So it was just three adults doing the Disney thing. But um, I went with an open mind and my friend had sent me the most awesome, sequined, beautiful ears to wear, like the headband ears. They're Betsy Johnson and they were pink and they're just the greatest. So I'm, when I put those on, I was like, oh, I feel it. I feel the magic. I'm going to Disney. So I arrived with an open heart saying, hit me with all of your Disney magic, Disney. I'm ready. I love whimsy. I love fun. If anybody is going to love Disney, it's this girl. And that never happened. I tried really hard. Um, I didn't hate it. It wasn't like I disliked it and I had a great time. But I was waiting for the thing, the the euphoric thing that I thought was going to happen where I was going to turn into a Disneyite. You know, I was raised in a cult. I do real well like buying into things and going all in and saying that something is the greatest ever. I mean, that's like what in my DNA. If I like something, it's the greatest ever. I'm 100% on board and I devote my life to it. It's just what I do. And so I was ready to do that. I was ready to give Disney all of my money, all of my love. And I think I waited too long. I think 41 is too old. Um, I liked it and I thought I thought Disney World was beautiful and I thought the production of it and the attention to detail was something I couldn't even wrap my brain around. I loved walking around Disney World and just looking at all of the the like the little like the, the little buildings and the architecture and the design and the landscaping and how things were so hidden and so it was great, but at no point did I feel Disney in my soul. And I feel really bad about that because I feel like it was my obligation to fall in love with Disney. I did cry at the parade because I always cry at parades and it was beautiful and magical and it was like geared that way. And then the fireworks made me cry. And so they definitely got me sometimes with the emotional bombs. But um, yeah, it was really disappointing to learn that me and Disney weren't going to hang out. I would definitely say that it was a great experience. I'm really glad I got to go. I loved Epcot. Epcot was really cool. It was all under construction, so I didn't get to do a lot of things. And a lot of it was very dated. I was very confused why people thought it was cool. But um, it was good to see it. But most of all, I got to hang out with my friends. And I don't care where we are. I'll go hang out with them anywhere they're super awesome people. So it was a great trip. And um, the last day we were at Disney Springs, which I really liked Disney Springs. I thought that was really cool. There was a lot to see and do and buy and eat and stuff. And um, I started to feel sick and I was like, oh no, I'm getting sick. And that was a Thursday. And <laughs> 
that was the beginning of influenza. That was heinous. Oh my God. I got so sick. I've been that sick in a real long time. And um, my friend got home. They live in North Carolina and also got the same symptoms. And so I didn't go to the doctor because I wasn't I – mean, I didn't feel like there was anything that they could do for me. He went to the doctor and was diagnosed, tested and diagnosed with influenza A. So I'm like, well, that's what I have because we have the same symptoms and we were all together. But here's the thing. This is where I'm going with this story. Right now, we have this coronavirus thing. You may have heard of it. Uh, we have our first confirmed case in Minnesota. So people aren't panicking, but people aren't stoked either. But and, and you know, I'm not going to like go way into it, but I'm so confused because I had the flu and I didn't go to the doctor. So no one knows I had the flu. I'm not in the numbers and I wasn't sick enough. So there's probably, right, I'm assuming that there are people that have been sick with this that weren't sick enough to go to the doctor. And even if they were, apparently they can't test everyone. So I mean, shouldn't we just assume that people have it all over the place already? Because just because they haven't been counted doesn't mean they haven't had it. So that's where I'm really confused. And I'm hoping that some of you will clarify that. I'm sure like some of you will like have read something on the reputable internet and send it to me as proof as to why I'm wrong or something. <laughs> but it really does make me question and I'm just curious. I'm curious how that is or is not factored in because – Apparently, the symptoms are very mild in some people, but I could be completely wrong. I don't watch the news, nor do I read anything. I pay zero attention to any of the things. Um, that's just how I am. It's not great, but that's just how I am. Um, I got rid of my TVs last year, and it was one of the best things I ever did, A, for space, and B, because I try to focus only on things I can control, and there's never anything on TV that I have any control over. So I pay attention. Um, but because of that, I don't have a constant update on what's going on with the coronavirus thing. But I am paying attention because, um, you know, it's a BFD. So I hope that all of you are safe and sound and not affected by or sick with the coronavirus. We'll see how this plays out. Apparently, um, I do spend a lot of time on social media and I've seen a lot of memes about toilet paper and how it's sold out everywhere and like get your toilet paper. And it's really confusing to me because um, of all of the life-saving things and supplies that are necessary to keep you alive, toilet paper is not on that list. You can live without it. There are so many things in your home if in a pinch you needed toilet paper and didn't have any, you could substitute. It's not ideal, but it's not life-threatening. Like, for instance, like water. Water is something you have to have or you die. Why aren't we buying water? I'm not saying everyone should go buy water, but it just – there's you cannot take a coffee filter, for instance, and turn it into water. But you can – in a pinch, and I've never done this, use a coffee filter for things. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just saying, toilet paper, lots of things you could potentially use. Water, no, there's just one water 
So uh, those are the things that confuse me in this world. Like I don't know why we're stockpiling toilet paper. Let's stockpile like something that would actually save our lives. I mean, stockpiling toilet paper is like stockpiling socks or something. You you don't need socks to live. It's not life saving. Not important to your life. Life. You can be barefoot and you can substitute things. Um whatever. Anyway, I don't want to talk about toilet paper anymore. And I would edit this out, but I'm terrible at editing. So I'm going to leave it in so that all of you think of this every time you make coffee. You're welcome. So glad I'm doing this podcast to contribute to the greater good of society. So I don't have a whole lot in this episode of um, new content. I just want to answer some questions that have come through and just kind of um, just chat about life. I have some great episodes coming up about plastic surgery and losing weight when you've regained weight and um, exercise and dealing with unsupportive family. So those are all coming up. I'm going to be doing two episodes a week very soon. And so there's a lot more content coming up. But um, this week, I'm just going to answer some questions that came in. So first of all, Going back to my cult church episode, I had a lot of questions on that episode, and I've tried to answer them directly to people, but I'm going to answer some of them collectively here. So I had quite a few questions about um, the leadership of the cult church and what, what happened to them and if they were ever punished for anything that they ever did that I insinuated and all of that. So a little... A little update on that. So the leadership of our cult church, it was a it was just one pastor and his wife. And then his daughters participated in running the church. Not all of them. There was four of them, and then two of them were more instrumental in the church. Mainly one. And then um they just kind of cycled, they moved back and forth between Minnesota and like Texas and stuff. And so there wasn't the big thing was they didn't believe in having a board and they didn't believe in having an organization. So it was basically very, they were very autonomous, whatever they thought, whatever they thought God was saying, that was what they put out there. And so if one of them had a dream that was from the Lord, so they would, you know, push that. And if one of them had a vision, like one time the pastor's wife, her hair caught on fire or something, and that was God telling her to never cut her hair. And I would say, if my hair caught on fire, I'd be like, that's God saying, like, get away from the fire, idiot. Or you look better with short hair because, look, I burned it off. I mean, that's where my mind would go. But apparently her mind said that you're not supposed to cut your hair. So, like, that kind of stuff. But the pastor passed away. Um, You know, I think he'd kind of – he'd already turned the church over to his son-in-law by the time he passed away. So his son-in-law – was also the son of a pastor in Texas and a little bit different doctrine. Like, so our church had this weird doctrine and then there was a big group of churches. There is a big group of churches more in the South, very similar, but they don't believe in a devil. Like they don't believe that there's a God with a an agonist. Whereas like ours were like God and Satan fight each other. And like you either serve Satan or you serve God. So these people don't believe that there is a Satan, that it's God against your flesh, like you, right? Which, I mean, I guess it makes sense. It might be like kind of like your lizard brain that wants you to eat Snicker bars. I don't know. But there was like a lot of vitriol 
over this doctrinal difference. And we would associate with these churches sometimes, but it all came down to like, well, they're, they would say they're a no devil church. And that was just like a big deal. Like, like who cares what you call it? I mean, we all agreed that there's an enemy. You care what its name is. We could call him like Michelle or Edith or Satan. Who cares? I don't know. So, but when he wanted to turn the church over to his son-in-law, all of a sudden the son-in-law was like, I believe in Satan. So we're all good. I'll take the church. So it was pretty funny. So I don't I don't know if it went down exactly like that, but that's the summary. Um, and so he took over and he's he's a t- and I don't like to say negative things, but like he's literally literally not a smart person and I it's not sour grapes because the original pastor I would say is very smart. He was a really smart man, very misguided and stuff. But like intelligence-wise, he was very smart. So I'm not afraid to say nice things where they're due, but this guy, complete idiot. Okay. And so, and he couldn't put together a sermon to save his soul. It was just a disastrous mess of, I have no, I don't remember one thing he taught. I just don't because none of it made any sense. And, um, and so the church just kind of started to peter out. And that's when a lot of questionable stuff started happening with um, finances and transactions and like these older members that had passed away and left things to the church. It was all handled really weird. And so there was never allegations. There was never like, of course, there was never any criminal anything, but crappy, really bad, unethical things at the minimum happened. And um just recently, they like sold a lot of things, took the money, and left the state. And so, just like like bad people doing bad things, but I don't know that they were necessarily illegal things. So I wanted to clear that up because I, in no way, shape, or form, wanted to insinuate that these people were criminals and needed to be investigated and prosecuted. Because I don't know a, I don't know enough to ever insinuate that. B, I don't think that's the level of it. Although, again, I don't know, um, and I just don't want even a rumor of like that I said that because I don't, I mean, I don't know. Bad people, unethical, like for sure. Um, But that's where I have to kind of draw the line. The rest is hearsay and opinions. Um, But you know, who knows? I guess Satan doesn't even know because he doesn't exist. So funny to think that like whole groups of people can spend their entire life arguing over if like Satan exists just cracks me up in hindsight. Like, really? That's what we have to talk about? There are starving people, there are dying people, there are wars, there are people down the street that need help, but we're going to spend our time deciding if there's a Satan. <laughs> okay. Uh, good Lord. Um, so, another, I had a lot of questions about my brother because I talked more about my sister. And so I didn't talk a lot about my brother because, um, A, he listens to this podcast, uh, and B, my sister doesn't that I know of. I was really hoping for a long time that my mom and my sister would never find out about this podcast, which is silly because, of course, I'm putting it out there. Um, I called my mom after the cult church episode to just gauge her voice to see if she'd heard about it. And so I called her. And I was like, hi, mom. And she was like, hi. And I was like, she hasn't heard it. 
And then a couple of weeks ago, I called her and she was like, yes. So she heard it, I think. But what else? Um, but anyway, my brother, um, my brother's seven years older than me, so we just were not as close in age. But like I said earlier, um, we played together and we were good buddies. Our dynamic was that two of us would inevitably gang up on the other one. <laughs> and so that was our childhood dynamic. But my brother stayed in the church almost as long as I did. He was engaged to the idiot pastor I just talked about. He was engaged to his daughter for a while. Um, so he almost got stuck marrying into that garbage. And then luckily, um, I don't know all the details, but luckily he didn't. And um, thank God for that. Um, but he's, he left before I did. And um, But, you know, he was kind of as conflicted as me. Like he was in it a lot longer than me because he's older than me. And so we've all, as kids, as we've grown up, we've had to grapple with figuring out our own faith and figuring out what we believe and what makes sense and what we're comfortable with and going to church again somewhere else and what we're comfortable with. And he's done a lot of work on that. And I think he's found peace with that. And he's found a church that he feels good about. And um, and I'm really happy for him about that. Um, I just want us all to be okay. And I think that all of us have done a lot of work and none of us are quitters. And I think we're all always going to grapple and fight to be as healthy as we possibly can after all of that stuff. So my sister, when she got married and came back to church all defiant in her pants and makeup and earrings, they were very hell-bent on keeping her away from the other girls her age because they didn't want her to influence. And so she and her husband went to a Church of God church locally, and they got really involved in that. And my sister is really talented. She plays piano by ear, and she can lead, like, worship, if you've ever been to a traditional church and, like, they do, like, contemporary worship. She's really, really good. Um, so she did that for a long time, really involved. Um, for some reason, and maybe it's because she was so young and she left on her terms – um, and she never bought into it the way that I did. She seemed to transition out of cult church into mainstream evangelical church pretty seamlessly. And so that seems to have had a big impact on her life. And she stayed very active in church and she's a churchgoer and um, stuff. So it seems like she made that transition really easily and fervently. And I think over time, like my mom recognizes now that it was stupid to fixate on all that other stuff. You know, my sister's faith is very real. And my sister was definitely not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. She was just saying, I'm not going to follow these stupid legalistic rules, but I still have faith. And um, so I really, I'm jealous actually that she was able to do that. I, have not been able to do that. It's been a really hard battle for me to figure out faith <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. It's been uh, it's been really hard, and so I admire that, and I'm just jealous of it. I wish it was as easy for me, and it just hasn't been. But um, that was kind of kind of her 
path. And uh, I'm proud of her and I'm happy for her for that. So, and then I got a lot of questions about the guy that she married. So the guy she married, he went to our church. He just found the church like because he was lived locally and he was also very unique in his beliefs. Um, he went to Jimmy Swigert Bible College. If any of you are familiar with Jimmy Swigert, but he was a really popular televangelist in the 1980s and he had a Bible college. And so um, my sister's husband went there and my dad liked to talk to him after church because my dad loved Jimmy Swigert. And so they were buddies. And that's kind of how the connection happened where my my dad and him would be talking after church. He would see my sister. He would wink and like flex his pec muscle. I remember that. Oh God, it was so gross. Um, and so that's kind of how the like fascination happened. And because my dad is a cupcake and my dad was friends with him and my dad doesn't know how to say no, even though my sister was so young, they let them court. So um, he was an adult, obviously, and my sister was a teenager, obviously. So then I didn't understand how scandalous that was, but now I do. But um, yeah, that's not my story to tell. But so that's that's where he came from, and he was just very much team my sister, whatever she kind of wanted, he did. But, um, you know, after they got married, they both realized it was a big mistake. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the episode, but, um, my sister wanted to come home and was like, yeah, I made a big mistake. And my mom's classic line that she's used a billion times with us kids has been, you made your bed, lay in it. So that's what she did. And I guess all was well that ends well. I don't know. Um, they had a daughter, my niece, um, who is um, – my niece is just spectacular. So, um, you know, beautiful things come from crazy things all the time. Um, another question that I got asked was um, why – I wasn't excommunicated when I left the cult. I think I touched on that a little bit, but I had a lot of questions on that, surprisingly. But my mom, it wasn't customary for – so if somebody's kids left the church, it wasn't customary to excommunicate the kids. It was more like if a whole family left, we excommunicated the family. But I think our family may have been one of the first where a child left because my sister did it when she was so young. And so it was a little bit of uncharted territory. And so we didn't really excommunicate her. We didn't really excommunicate me from the family. The church did, but not the family. So that it was kind of a caveat to that. So nobody from church hung out with or communicated with my sister. But we as a family could or we weren't, you know, wasn't like not allowed. So it was frowned upon. That's for sure to, you know, for me as still in the church, spending time with my sister was, you know, I had to be very careful. And my mom kept very close tabs on all of that. Like I wasn't really allowed to spend the night over there because they had a TV and stuff like that. It was just all so silly. So those were some of those questions. Um, and then about homeschooling, um, asking about the laws and hiding. Cause I think I mentioned that we, my mom would keep the drapes closed 
while we were home all day because she didn't want the neighbors to know that we were homeschooled. And that was not, it was not because it was illegal. It's because she didn't know how to answer questions and she just didn't want people to know because she assumed that they could cause trouble. So it wasn't that we were breaking the law. It was that she didn't want to have to explain it. And in general, we didn't really talk to the neighbors. So, um, you know, and now it's like homeschooling is – online school is a big thing and homeschooling is a big thing. And it's come a long way. The curriculum that we used was like total garbage. Um, but now there are kids who are homeschooled who get really good educations. And I knew a lot of kids who were homeschooled that got really good educations. Um, they had this – once a month they had homeschool gym night. And um, it was a night where a homeschool family – would rent out or just reserve a gymnasium and invite anybody who was homeschooled that they knew, and basically it was evangelical people who were homeschooled, to come and the guys would play basketball and the girls would play volleyball, and it was a way for us to socialize and then get some physical activity. And I loved that because I got to go and like see other people. And my mom would take me, and she was very careful who I talked to because they weren't cult people, but being homeschooled, and a lot of them were part of um, some of these really, really conservative groups we were involved in. She would take me. And um, actually, that was one of the greatest things of my life. I met um, my longest friend ever there. My mom never would have let me make a friend there. But we were playing volleyball, and I met this girl. And she was um, a year older than me. And she had the same name as my sister and we hit it off. And when we were about to leave, I came to introduce her to my mom and she told her her name and my mom recognized her last name and realized that her dad had, she'd gone to high school. My mom went to high school with this girl's dad down in like nowhere, Iowa. And so it was this connection. She's like, oh my gosh, you're his daughter and I know him from high school. So we were allowed to be friends because my mom knew her dad from way back when. So it's this weird like loophole. And so, and she was homeschooled and their family was, you know, really nice. But like her, she got to listen to secular music with drums and they went to a church with secular, secular sounding music with drums and, but they didn't have a TV and they were really strict. So she made the grade. And I'm so glad because um, we're still friends and she's the only person who really was there through all the things. I didn't get to see her much, but you know, we logged, I don't know, a hundred hours a week on the phone. <laughs> and so that was the gift of homeschool gym night. I got one friend out of the deal which was really great, even though we didn't see each other a whole lot. I remember her, when she started driving, her parents let her use the car and they had to pay, she had to pay 25 cents a mile to use the car. And I lived like 30 miles away. And so apparently I wasn't worth the, what, $15 round trip to come visit me very much. Thanks a lot. I don't know if she listens to this. I guess we'll find out. So those were just some of the questions that have come up from those other episodes. Um, there was also a question about weight loss surgery and um, if I regret it because it, I was saying that people should get it, but then I was saying all of these negative side effects. And so I just want to clarify about weight loss surgery. If you can avoid having weight loss surgery, you're way better off. 
because it's really um, extreme and it really messes up with your metabolism. It really, it presents a whole other list of health concerns. So if you can avoid it, avoid it. If I had known then what I know now, I think I could have avoided it. Um, But at the time, it just seemed like the best option. And so I don't regret it at all. And I think if you're considering it and you've tried a lot of things and um, you're going into it with all the information, I I think it's a really great tool. And I would never tell anyone not to do it. But I don't know that I would say, yeah, go do it. I mean, I I kind of alluded to that in that episode, but you have to know what you're getting into. And I tried really hard to be honest about the whole process and what it really, really entails and that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. But I don't regret doing it. And it was a huge, huge key to my success. Um, I feel like, like I said, what I know now about eating and managing my cravings and binge eating and overeating, I feel like I... I wouldn't need it if I were in that position right now. But, you know, we can only guess at those things. So also I've been getting questions about the workshops that I've been doing. I'm going to be doing an Instagram live version of the writing a food plan for life workshop. And so dates on that to come, I'm still trying to figure out the logistics of it. It's not something I necessarily want to do in my apartment, even though that's the easiest thing. Um, But I may just do sort of a more of a Instagram live one-on-one thing where people can type in comments and all of that. Because I'm in Minnesota and most of you are not in Minnesota. And so you can't come to these and you've expressed interest. So what we do at these workshops, I'm still getting used to doing them and I'm kind of learning along the way. But to really drive home how the lizard brain works with our frontal lobe and us reaching our goals and then really working together to write rules um, around those foods and food behaviors that trip us up so that eventually you can flesh out a full plan for your eating life. So you don't have to fight and battle and struggle, um, but you can simply manage how you live in this world with food. And it's really, really empowering. And I want to bring that to everyone that wants it. So stay tuned for dates and times on that. I'm hoping to make a regularly occurring option for that, for a live stream or a webinar type setting. So thanks so much for letting me know you're interested. That's something I wouldn't have thought to do, except that so many of you expressed interest. So I love your feedback and I love hearing what you want. I'm here to give you guys what you want. So within reason, of course. (laughs) So thanks so much for joining me today. I realize that the content of this has not been incredibly earth shattering. It's more just about like Kristen rambles, but thanks for being here. It's super fun to just chat with all of you, get to know you better, answer your questions. And um, I'm just loving this little podcast community and all of you for being here. So thanks so much. And Pretty soon, twice a week, I'm going to be putting out podcasts so that those of you who keep asking me for more content, you're going to get it twice as fast. So have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. If you heard something that motivated, inspired, or educated you, please let me know. And if you thought of someone else while you were listening that may benefit, 
from hearing this, please share this podcast with them directly or post it on your social media. I really appreciate when I see that someone has shared this, it just lights me up. It's the greatest currency that we could exchange. I'll talk to you. You share it with people. It works really well. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a really great week. If you want to interact, you can find me on Instagram, destination underscore begin, or email me, Kristen, at destinationbegin.com. Thank you.